0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Greatest Love Stories. This is your host, John Hagedorn. It's time we check back in with Anne Shirley for the second novel in Lucy Maud Montgomery's series. The Anne of Green Gables that we did last year has done extremely well, and we've received a lot of requests to continue. The second book in Lucy Maud Montgomery's series is Anne of Avonlea. This was written in 1912 and covers the second chapter in the life of Anne Shirley. This story follows Anne from the age of 16 to 18, during the two years that she teaches at Avonlea school. It includes many of the characters from Anne of Green Gables, as well as new ones like Mr. Harrison, Miss Lavender Lewis, Paul Irving, and the twins Dora and Davy. And just so you know, Anne is no longer simply Anne of Green Gables, as she was in the first book, but she now takes her place among the important people and the grown-up people of Avonlea society, as its only school teacher. She's also a founding member of the Avis, Avonlea Village Improvement Society, which tries to improve, with questionable results, the Avonlea landscape. It's a great story. It was turned into a movie in 1975. And we hope you enjoy it. And now, Chapter 1, An Irate Neighbor. A tall, slim girl, half past 16, with serious gray eyes and hair which her friends called auburn, Had sat down on the broad red sandstone doorstep of a Prince Edward Island farmhouse one ripe afternoon in August, firmly resolved to construe so many lines of Virgil, but an August afternoon with blue hazes scarfing the harvest slopes, little winds whispering elfishly in the poplars, and a dancing slender of red poppies outflaming against the dark coppice of young firs in a corner of the cherry orchard was fitter for dreams than dead languages. The Virgil soon slipped unheeded to the ground, and Anne her chin propped upon her clasped hands, and her eyes on the splendid mass of fluffy clouds that were heaping up just over Mr. J.A. Harrison's house like a great white mountain, was far away in a delicious world where a certain schoolteacher was doing a wonderful work, shaping the destinies of future statesmen and inspiring youthful minds and hearts with high and lofty ambitions. To be sure, if you came down to harsh facts, which, it must be confessed, Anne seldom did until she had to, "'it did not seem likely that there was much promising material "'for celebrities in Avonlea school. "'But you could never tell what might happen "'if a teacher used her influence for good. "'Anne had certain rose-tinted ideals "'of what a teacher might accomplish "'if she only went the right way about it, "'and she was in the midst of a delightful scene, Forty years hence, with a famous personage. "'Just exactly what he was to be famous for "'was left in convenient haziness, "'but Anne thought it would be rather nice "'to have him a college president.' Or a Canadian premier, bowing low over her wrinkled hand and assuring her that it was she who had first kindled his ambition and that all his success in life was due to the lessons she had instilled so long ago in Avonlea's school. This pleasant vision was shattered by a most unpleasant interruption. A demure little Jersey cow came scuttling down the lane, and five seconds later, Mr. Harrison arrived. If arrived, if arrived be not too mild a term to describe the manner of his eruption into the yard. He bounced over the fence without waiting to open the gate, and angrily confronted astonished Anne, who had risen to her feet and stood looking at him in some bewilderment. mister Harrison was their new right hand neighbor, and she had never met him before, although she had seen him once or twice. In early April, before Anne had come home from Queens, mister Robert Bell, whose farm adjoined the Cuthbert Place on the west, "'had sold out and moved to Charlottetown. "'His farm had been bought by a certain Mr. J. A. Harrison, "'whose name, and the fact that he was a New Brunswick man, "'were all that was known about him. "'But before he had been a month in Avonlea, "'he had won the reputation of being an odd person. "'A crank,' Mrs. Rachel Lynn said. "'Mrs. Rachel was an outspoken lady, "'as those of you who may have already made her acquaintance will remember. "'Mr. Harrison was certainly different from other people.' and that is the essential characteristic of a crank, as everybody knows. In the first place, he kept house for himself, and had publicly stated that he wanted no fools of women around his diggings. Feminine Avonlea took its revenge by the gruesome tales it related about his housekeeping and cooking. He had hired little John Henry Carter of White Sands, and John Henry started the stories. For one thing, there was never any stated time for meals in the Harrison establishment. Mr. Harrison... "'got a bite, when he felt hungry, "'and if John Henry were around at the time, "'he came in for a share, "'but if he were not, "'he had to wait until Mr. Harrison's next hungry spell. "'John Henry mournfully averred "'that he would have starved to death "'if it wasn't that he got home on Sundays "'and got a good filling up, "'and that his mother always gave him a basket of grub "'to take back with him on Monday mornings. "'As for washing dishes, "'Mr. Harrison never made any pretense of doing it "'unless a rainy Sunday came.' "'Then he went to work and washed them all at once in the rainwater hogshead, "'and left them to drain dry. "'Again, Mr. Harrison was close. "'When he was asked to subscribe to the Reverend Mr. Allen's salary, "'he said he'd wait and see how many dollars' worth of good "'he got out of his preaching first. "'He didn't believe in buying a pig and a poke. "'And when Mrs. Lynde went to ask for a contribution to missions, "'and, incidentally, to see the inside of the house,' "'He told her that there were more heathens "'among the old women gossips in Avonlea "'than anywhere else he knew of, "'and he'd cheerfully contribute to a mission "'for Christianizing them if she'd undertake it. "'Mrs. Rachel got herself away "'and said it was a mercy poor Mrs. Robert Bell "'was safe in her grave, "'for it would have broken her heart "'to see the state of her house "'in which she used to take so much pride. "'Why, she scrubbed the kitchen floor "'every second day,' "'Mrs. Lynn told Marilla Cuthbert indignantly. "'And if you could see it now!' "'I had to hold up my skirts as I walked across it. "'Finally, Mr. Harrison kept a parrot named Ginger. "'Nobody in Lee had ever kept a parrot before. "'Consequently, that proceeding was considered barely respectable. "'And such a parrot! "'If you took John Henry Carter's word for it, "'never was such an unholy bird. "'It swore terribly. "'Mrs. Carter would have taken John Henry away at once "'if she had been sure she could get another place for him. "'Besides,' Ginger had bitten a piece right out of the back of John Henry's neck one day when he had stooped down too near the cage. Mrs. Carter showed everybody the mark when the luckless John Henry went home on Sundays. All these things flashed through Anne's mind as Mr. Harrison stood, quite speechless, with wrath, apparently, before her. In his most amiable mood, Mr. Harrison could not have been considered a handsome man. He was short and fat and bald, and now, with his round face purple with rage and his prominent blue eyes almost sticking out of his head, Anne thought he was really the ugliest person she'd ever seen. All at once Mr. Harrison found his voice. "'I'm not going to put up with this,' he spluttered. "'Not a day longer. Do you hear, Miss—Miss—Bless my soul! This is the third time—Miss—the third time! Patience is ceased to be a virtue, Miss. I warned your aunt last time not to let it occur again, and she has let it.' "'She's done it. "'What does she mean by it? "'That's what I want to know. "'That's what I'm here about, miss.' "'Will you explain what the trouble is?' asked Anne, in her most dignified manner. "'She had been practicing it considerably of late "'to have it in good working order when school began. "'But it had no apparent effect "'on the irate J.A. Harrison.' "'Trouble, is it? "'Bless my soul! "'Trouble enough, I should think. "'The trouble is, miss, "'that I found that Jersey cow of your aunt's "'in my oats again, not half an hour ago.' THE THIRD TIME, MARK YOU, I FOUND HER IN LAST TUESDAY, AND I FOUND HER IN YESTERDAY. I CAME HERE AND TOLD YOUR AUNT NOT TO LET IT OCCUR AGAIN. SHE HAS LET IT OCCUR AGAIN. WHERE IS YOUR AUNT, MISS? I, WHERE IS YOUR AUNT? I JUST WANT TO SEE HER FOR A MINUTE, AND GIVE HER A PIECE OF MY MIND, A PIECE OF J.A. HARRISON'S MIND. IF YOU MEAN MISS MARILLA CUTHBERT, SHE IS NOT MY AUNT, AND SHE HAS GONE DOWN TO EAST Grapton TO SEE A DISTANT RELATIVE OF HERS WHO IS VERY ILL.' said Anne, with due increase of dignity at every word. I am very sorry that my cow should have broken into your oats. She is my cow, and not Miss Cuthbert's. Matthew gave her to me three years ago when she was a little calf, and he bought her from mister Bell. Sorry, Miss Sorry isn't going to help matters any. You better go and look at the havoc that animal has made of my oats. Trampled them from center to circumference, miss. I am very sorry, repeated Anne firmly. "'but perhaps if you had kept your fences in better repair, "'Dolly might not have broken in. "'It is your part of the line fence "'that separates your oat field from our pasture, "'and I noticed the other day "'that it was not in very good condition.' "'My fence is all right,' snapped Mr. Harrison, "'angrier than ever at this carrying of the war "'into the enemy's country. "'The jail fence couldn't keep a demon of a cow like that out. "'And I can tell you, you red-headed snippet, "'that if that cow is yours, as you say,' You'd be better employed in watching her out of other people's grain than in sitting round reading yellow-covered novels. Saying this with a scathing glance at the innocent tan-coloured Virgil by Anne's feet. Something at that moment was red besides Anne's hair, which had always been a tender point with her. I'd rather have red hair than none at all, except a little fringe round my ears. She flashed. The shot told, for Mr Harrison was really very sensitive about his bald head. His anger choked him up again. "'and he could only glare speechlessly at Anne, "'who recovered her temper and followed up her advantage. "'I can make allowance for you, Mr. Harrison, "'because I have an imagination. "'I can easily imagine how very trying it must be "'to find a cow in your oats, "'and I shall not cherish any hard feelings against you "'for the things you've said. "'I promise you that Dolly shall never break into your oats again. "'I give you my word and honour on that point.' "'Well, mind you, she doesn't,' muttered Mr. Harrison, "'in a somewhat subdued tone.' "'But he stamped off angrily enough, and Anne heard him growling to himself until he was out of earshot. Grievously disturbed in mind, Anne marched across the yard and shut the naughty jersey up in the milking pan. "'She can't possibly get out of that unless she tears the fence down,' she reflected. "'She looks pretty quiet now. I dare say she has sickened herself on those oats. "'I wish I'd sold her to Mr. Shearer when he wanted her last week.' But I thought it was just as well to wait until we had the auction of the stock and let them all go together. I believe it is true about Mr. Harrison being a crank. Certainly there is nothing of the kindred spirit about him. Anne always had a weather eye open for kindred spirits. Marilla Cuthbert was driving into the yard as Anne returned from the house, and the latter flew to get tea ready. They discussed the matter at the tea table. I'll be glad when this auction is over, said Marilla. It's too much responsibility having so much stock about the place and nobody but that unreliable Martin to look after them. He has never come back yet, and he promised that he would certainly be back last night if I give him the day off to go to his aunt's funeral. I don't know how many aunts he's got, I am sure. That's the fourth that's died since he hired here a year ago. I'll be more than thankful when the crop is in and mr Barry takes over the farm. We'll have to keep Dolly shut up in the pen till Martin comes. "'for she must be put in the back pasture, "'and the fences there have to be fixed. "'I declare it's a world of trouble,' as Rachel says. "'Here is poor Mary Keith dying, "'and what is to become of those two children of hers "'is more than I know. "'She has a brother in British Columbia, "'and she has written to him about them, "'but she hasn't heard back from him yet. "'What are the children like? "'How old are they?' asked Anne. Six past. They're twins.' Oh, I've always been especially interested in twins, ever since Mrs. Hammond had so many," said Anne eagerly. "Are they pretty?" Goodness, you couldn't tell. They were too dirty. Davy had been out making mud pies, and Dora went out to call him in. Davy pushed her head first into the biggest pie, and then, because she cried, he got into it himself and wallowed in it to show her it was nothing to cry about. Mary said Dora was really a very good child, but that Davy was full of mischief. "'He's never had any bringing up,' you might say. "'His father died when he was a baby, "'and Mary's been sick almost ever since.' "'I'm almost sorry for children that have no bringing up,' "'said Anne soberly. "'You know I hadn't any until you took me in hand. "'I hope their uncle will look after them. "'Just what relation is Mrs. Keith to you?' "'Mary? None in the world. "'It was her husband. "'He was our third cousin. "'There's Mrs. Lynn coming to the yard.' "'I thought she'd be up to hear about Mary. "'Don't tell her about Mr. Harrison and the cow,' implored Anne. "'Marilla promised, but the promise was quite unnecessary, "'for Mrs. Lynde was no sooner fairly seated than she said, "'I saw Mr. Harrison chasing your jersey out of his oats today "'when I was coming home from Carmody, don't you know? "'I thought he looked pretty mad. "'Did he make much of a rumpus?' "'Anne and Marilla furtively exchanged amused smiles. "'Few things in Avonlea ever escaped Mrs. Lynde.' It was only that morning Anne had said, If you went to your own room at midnight, locked the door, pulled down the blind, and sneezed, Mrs. Lynde would ask you the next day how your cold was. I believe he did, admitted Marilla. I was away. He gave Anne a piece of his mind. I think he's a very disagreeable man, said Anne with a resentful toss of her ruddy head. You never said a truer word, said Mrs. Rachel solemnly. I knew there'd be trouble when Robert Bell sold his place to a New Brunswick man, that's what. I don't know what Avonlea is coming to, with so many strange people rushing into it. It'll soon not be safe to go to sleep in our beds. Why, what other strangers are coming in? Asked Marilla. Haven't you heard? Well, there's a family of Donalds, for one thing. They've rented Peter Sloane's old house. Peter has hired the man to run his mill. They belong down east, and nobody knows anything about them. "'Then that shiftless Timothy Cotton family "'are going to move up from White Sands, "'and they'll simply be a burden on the public. "'He's in consumption, when he isn't stealing, "'and his wife was a slack-twisted creature "'that can't turn her hand to a thing. "'She washes her dishes sitting down. "'Mrs. George Pye has taken her husband's orphan nephew, "'Anthony Pye. "'He's going to school to you, Anne, "'so you might expect trouble, that's what. "'And you'll have another strange pupil, too. "'Paul Irving is coming from the States "'to live with his grandmother.' "'You remember his father, Marilla? Stephen Irving? "'Him that jilted Lavender Lewis over at Grafton?' "'I don't think he jilted her. "'There was a quarrel. "'I suppose there was blame on both sides. "'Well, anyway, he didn't marry her, "'and she's been as queer as possible ever since, they say, "'living all by herself in that little stone house "'she calls Echo Lodge. Stephen went off to the States "'and went into business with his uncle "'and married a Yankee. "'He's never been home since, "'though his mother's been up to see him once or twice.' "'His wife died two years ago, "'and he's sending the boy home to his mother for a spell. "'He's ten years old, "'and I don't know if he'll be a very desirable pupil. "'You never can tell about those Yankees.' "'Mrs. Lynde looked upon all people "'who had the misfortune to be born "'or brought up elsewhere than in Prince Edward Island "'with a decided, "'Can anything good come out of Nazareth, air. "'They might be good people, of course, "'but you were on the safe side in doubting it. "'She had a special prejudice against Yankees.' Her husband had been cheated out of ten dollars by an employer for whom he had once worked in Boston, and neither angels nor principalities nor powers could have convinced Mrs. Rachel that the whole United States was not responsible for it. "'Avon School won't be the worse for a little new blood,' said Marilla dryly. "'And if this boy is anything like his father, he'll be all right. Steve Irving was the nicest boy that was ever raised in these parts, though some people did call him proud. "'I should think Mrs. Irving would be very glad to have the child.' "'She had been very lonesome since her husband died.' "'Oh, the boy may be well enough, "'but he'll be different from Avonlea children,' "'said Mrs. Rachel, as if that clinched the matter. "'Mrs. Rachel's opinions concerning any person, place, or thing "'were always warranted to wear. "'What's this I hear about you going to start up "'a village improvement society, Anne?' "'I was just talking it over with some of the girls and boys "'at the last debating club,' said Anne, flushing. "'They thought it would be rather nice. "'And so did Mr. and Mrs. Allen.' "'Lots of villages have them now.' "'Well, you'll get into no end of hot water if you do. Better leave it alone, Anne. That's what. People don't like being improved.' "'Oh, we're not going to try to improve the people. It's Avonlea itself. There are lots of things which might be done to make it prettier. For instance, if we could coach Mr. Levi Bolter to pull down that dreadful old house on his upper farm, wouldn't that be an improvement?' It certainly would,' admitted Mrs. Rachel.' "'That old ruin has been an eyesore to the settlement for years. "'But if you improvers could coax Levi Bolter "'to do anything for the public "'that isn't to be paid for doing, "'may I be there to see and hear the process. "'That's what. "'I don't want to discourage you, Anne, "'for there may be something in your idea. "'Though I suppose you did get it out of some rubbishy Yankee magazine. "'But you'll have your hands full with your school, "'and I advise you as a friend not to bother with your improvements. "'That's what. "'But there.' "'I know you'll go ahead with it "'if you've set your mind on it. "'You were always one "'to carry a thing through somehow.' "'Something about the firm outlines "'of Anne's lips "'told that Mrs. Rachel "'was not far astray in this estimate. "'Anne's heart was bent on forming the Improvement Society. "'Gilbert Blythe, "'who was to teach in White Sands, "'but would always be home "'from Friday night to Monday morning, "'was enthusiastic about it, "'and most of the other folks "'were willing to go in "'for anything that meant "'occasional meetings "'and consequently some fun. "'As for what the improvements "'were to be,' "'Nobody had any very clear idea except Anne and Gilbert. "'They had talked them over and planned them out "'until an ideal Avonlea existed in their minds, if nowhere else. "'Mrs. Rachel had still another item of news. "'They've given the Carmody School to a Priscilla grant. "'Didn't you go to Queen's with a girl of that name, Anne?' "'Yes, I did. Priscilla to teach at Carmody? "'How perfectly lovely!' exclaimed Anne, "'her grey eyes lighting up until they looked like evening stars.' Causing Mrs. Lynn to wonder anew if she would ever get it settled to her satisfaction whether Anne Shirley were really a pretty girl or not. We'll return with Chapter 2 right after these sponsor messages. And now, Chapter 2 of Anne of Avonlea Selling in Haste and Repenting at Leisure. Anne drove over to Carmody on a shopping expedition the next afternoon and took Diana Barry with her. Diana was, of course, a pledged member of the Improvement Society, and the two girls talked about little else all the way to Carmody and back. "'The very first thing we ought to do when we get started is to have that hall painted,' said Diana, as they drove past the Avonlea Hall, a rather shabby building set down in a wooded hollow, with spruce trees hooding it about on all sides. "'It's a disgraceful-looking place, and we must attend to it,' "'even before we try to get Mr. Levi Boulder to pull his house down. "'Father says we'll never succeed in doing that. "'Levi Boulder is too mean to spend the time it would take.' "'Perhaps you will let the boys take it down if they promise to haul the boards "'and split them up for him for Kindling wood," said Anne hopefully. "'We must do our best and be content to go slowly at first. "'We can't expect to improve everything all at once. "'We'll have to educate public sentiment first, of course.' Diana wasn't exactly sure what educating public sentiment meant, but it sounded fine, and she felt rather proud that she was going to belong to a society with such an aim in view. I thought of something last night that we could do, Anne. You know that three-cornered piece of ground where the roads from Carmody and Dewbridge and White Sands meet? It's all grown over with young spruce. But wouldn't it be nice to have them all cleared out, and just leave the two or three birch trees that are on it?' "'Splendid!' agreed Anne." And have a rustic seat put under the birches, and when spring comes, we'll have a flower bed made in the middle of it and plant geraniums. Yes, only we'll have to devise some way of getting old Missus Hiram Sloane to keep her cow off the road, or she'll eat our geraniums up. Laughed Diana. I begin to see what you mean by educating public sentiment, Anne. There's the old Bolter house now. Did you ever see such a rookery, and perched right close to the road too? An old house with its windows gone. "'always makes me think of something dead with its eyes picked out. "'I think an old deserted house is such a sad sight,' said Anne dreamily. "'It always seems to me to be thinking about its past "'and mourning for its old-time joys. "'Marilla says that a large family was raised in that old house long ago "'and that it was a really pretty place, "'with a lovely garden and roses climbing all over it. "'It was full of little children and laughter and songs, "'and now it's empty, and nothing ever wanders through it but the wind.' "'How lonely and sorrowful it must feel! "'Perhaps they all come back on moonlit nights, "'the ghosts of the little children of long ago, "'and the roses and the songs, "'and for a little while the old house can dream "'it is young and joyous again.' "'Diana shook her head. "'I never imagined things like that about places now, Anne. "'Don't you remember how cross Mother and Marilla were "'when we imagined ghosts into the haunted wood? "'To this day I can't go through that bush comfortably after dark.' "'And if I began imagining such things "'about the old bolter house, "'I'd be frightened to pass it, too. "'Besides, those children are dead. "'They're all grown up and doing well, "'and one of them is a butcher, "'and flowers and songs couldn't have ghosts anyhow.' "'Anne smothered a little sigh. "'She loved Diana dearly, "'and they had always been good comrades. "'But she had long ago learned "'that when she wandered into the realm of fancy, "'she must go alone. "'The way to it was by an enchanted path "'where not even her dearest—' "'might follow her. "'A thunder shower came up while the girls were at Carmody. "'It didn't last long, however, "'and the drive home, through lanes "'where the raindrops sparkled on the boughs "'and little leafy valleys where the drenched ferns "'gave out spicy odors, was delightful. "'But just as they turned into the Cuthbert Lane, "'Anne saw something that spoiled the beauty "'of the landscape for her. "'Before them on the right extended Mr. Harrison's "'broad, grey-green field of laid oats, "'wet and luxuriant, "'and there, standing squarely in the middle of it, "'Up to her sleek sides in the lush growth, "'and blinking at them calmly over the intervening tassels, "'was a Jersey cow. "'Anne dropped the reins and stood up with a tightening of the lips "'that boded no good to the predatory quadruped. "'Not a word,' said she, "'but she climbed dimly down over the wheels "'and whisked across the fence "'before Diana understood what had happened. "'Anne, come back!' shrieked the latter, "'as soon as she found her voice. "'You'll ruin your dress in that wet grain!' Ruin it! She doesn't hear me. Well, she'll never get that cow out by herself. I've got to go help her. Anne was charging through the grain like a mad thing. Diana hopped briskly down, tied the horse securely to a post, turned the skirt of her pretty gingham dress over her shoulders, mounted the fence, and started in pursuit of her frantic friend. She could run faster than Anne, who was hampered by her clinging and drenched skirt, and soon overtook her. Behind them they left a trail that would break Mr. Harrison's heart when he should see it. Anne, for mercy's sake, stop, panted poor Diana. I'm right out of breath, and you're wet to the skin. I must get that cow out before Mr. Harrison sees her, gasped Anne. I don't care if I'm drowned. If we can just do that, if we can just do that, BUT THE JERSEY COW APPEARED TO SEE NO GOOD REASON FOR BEING HUSTLED OUT OF HER luscious BROWSING GROUND. NO SOONER HAD THE TWO BREATHLESS GIRLS GOT NEARER THAN SHE TURNED AND BOLTED SQUARELY FOR THE OPPOSITE CORNER OF THE FIELD. HIT HER OFF! SCREAMED ANNE. RUN, DIANA, RUN! DIANA DID RUN. ANNE TRIED TO, AND THE WICKED JERSEY WENT AROUND THE FIELD AS IF SHE WERE POSSESSED. PRIVATELY, DIANA THOUGHT SHE WAS. "'It was fully ten minutes before they headed her off "'and drove her through the corner gap into the Cuthbert Lane. "'There was no denying that Anne was in anything "'but an angelic temper at that precise moment, "'nor did it soothe her in the least "'to behold a buggy halted just outside the lane, "'whereupon sat Mr. Shearer of Carmody and his son, "'both of whom wore a broad smile. "'I guess you'd better have sold me that cow "'when I wanted to buy her last week, Anne,' "'chuckled Mr. Shearer. "'I'll sell her to you now, if you want her.' "'said her flushed and disheveled owner. "'You can have her this very minute.' "'Done. "'I'll give you twenty for her, as I offered before, "'and Jim here can drive her right over to Carmody. "'She'll go to town with the rest of the ship this evening. "'Mr. Reed of Brighton wants a Jersey cow.' Five minutes later, Jim Shearer "'and the Jersey cow were marching up the road, "'and impulsive Anne was driving along "'the Green Gables Lane with her twenty dollars. "'What will Marilla say?' "'asked Diana. "'Oh, she won't care.' "'Dolly was my own cow, and it isn't likely she'd bring more than twenty dollars at the auction. "'But, oh, dear, if Mr. Harrison sees that grain, he will know she's been in again, "'and after giving him my word of honour that I'd never let it happen. "'Well, it has taught me a lesson not to give any word of honour about cows. "'A cow that could jump over or break through our milk-pen fence couldn't be trusted anywhere.' Marilla had gone down to Mrs. Lynde's, and when she returned, knew all about Dolly's sale and transfer— "'for Mrs. Lynde had seen most of the transaction from her window "'and guessed the rest. "'I suppose it's just as well she's gone, "'though you do do things in a dreadful headlong fashion, Anne. "'I don't see how she got out of the pen, though. "'She must have broken some of the boards off.' "'I didn't think of looking,' said Anne, "'but I'll go and see now. "'Martin has never come back yet. "'Perhaps some more of his aunts have died. "'I think it's something like Mr. Peter Sloan and the octogenarians.' "'The other evening Mrs. Sloane was reading a newspaper, and she said to Mr. Sloane, "'I see here that another octogenarian has just died.' "'What is an octogenarian, Peter?' "'And Mr. Sloan said he didn't know. "'But they must be very sickly creatures, for you never heard tell of them, but they were dying. "'That's the way with Martin's aunts.' "'Martin's just like all the rest of those French,' said Marilla in disgust. "'You can't depend on them for a day.' Marilla was looking over Anne's Carmody purchases when she heard a shrill shriek in the barnyard. A minute later, Anne dashed into the kitchen, wringing her hands. Anne, Shirley, what's the matter now? Oh, Marilla! Whatever shall I do? This is terrible, and it's all my fault. Oh, will I ever learn to stop and reflect a little before doing reckless things? Mrs. Lynde always told me I would do something dreadful some day, and now I've done it. Anne! You are the most exasperating girl. What is it you've done? I sold Mr. Harrison's jersey, cow. The one he bought from Mr. Bell. To Mr. Shearer. Do- Dolly is out in the milking pen this very minute. Anne, Shirley, are you are you dreaming? I only wish I were. There's no dream about it, although it's very like a nightmare. And Mr. Harrison's cow is in Charlottetown by this time. Oh, Marilla, I thought I'd finished getting into scrapes. "'And here I am in the very worst one I ever was in my life. "'What can I do?' "'Do? "'There's nothing to do, child, "'except go and see Mr. Harrison about it. "'We can offer him our jersey in exchange "'if he doesn't want to take the money. "'She is just as good as his.' "'I'm sure he'll be awfully cross "'and disagreeable about it, though,' moaned Dan. "'I dare say he will. "'He seems to be an irritable sort of man. "'I'll go and explain to him if you like.' "'No, indeed.' "'I'm not as mean as that,' exclaimed Anne. "'This is all my fault, and I'm certainly not going to let you take my punishment. "'I'll go myself, and I'll go at once. "'The sooner it's over, the better, for it will be terribly humiliating.' "'Poor Anne got her hat and her twenty dollars, "'and was passing out when she happened to glance through the open pantry door. "'On the table reposed a nut cake which she had baked that morning. "'A particularly toothsome concoction iced with pink icing and adorned with walnuts.' Anne had attended it for Friday evening, when the youth of Avonlea were to meet at Green Gables to organize the Improvement Society. But what were they compared to the justly offended Mr. Harrison? Anne thought that cake ought to soften the heart of any man, especially one who had to do his own cooking, and she promptly popped it into a box. She would take it to Mr. Harrison as a peace offering. That is, if he gives me a chance to say anything at all, she thought ruefully, as she climbed the lane fence and started on a shortcut across the fields, golden in the light of the dreamy August evening. I know now just how people feel who are being led to their execution. Thank you for joining us for these great two chapters of Anne of Avonlea by Lucy Maud Montgomery. If you enjoy the beginning here of Anne of Avonlea, please do take a moment and write a review mentioning Anne of Avonlea. We would appreciate that very much, and it helps new listeners find our show. Until next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, everyone. This is your host, John Hagedorn, Stay safe, and we'll be back soon. I sold Mr. Har- <laughs> I sold Mr. I just sold Mr. Harrison's I sold Mr. Harrison's Jersey cow, the one he bought from Mr. Bell. To Mr. Shearer, Do- Dolly's out in the milking pen this very minute. <laughs>